Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, November 26, 2022. It's been 3,195 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 276 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that the risk of terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure remains high and will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Second, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants caused by Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Third, we maintain that Russia is conducting stealth mobilization and may be preparing for the second wave of partial mobilization in January 2023. Fourth, we assess the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes will end in the next 15 to 30 days, with winter weather conditions expected to sweep across most of Ukraine. Fifth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Sixth, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Seventh, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing unrest inside and outside the Kremlin. If there continue to be military failures, there is a remote chance Russia could face a regime change. Eighth, We maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Ninth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Tenth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, We assess that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished, but remains a possibility in the next 45 to 75 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kherson and Zaporizhia. Russian forces are increasing their systematic shelling of the city of Kherson, with a five-fold increase in artillery strikes from November 24th. Attacks targeted civilians and civilian infrastructure, with 78 areas being hit, killing 15 people and wounding 35. The suburb of Antonivka, east of Kherson on the Dnipro River, was also shelled with cluster munitions. 
due to the increasing attacks on civilians, Operational Command South, or OCS, announced that hospital patients are being evacuated from the city. The Children's Hospital was already evacuated, with patients moved to Mikulayev, and psychiatric patients at another facility being moved to Odessa. In Russian-occupied Chaplinka, there were social media reports and a claim by mercenaries with Wargonzo of a rocket attack by HIMARS. Oddly enough, on the same day, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Russian troops had been deployed to the town. Russian sources also reported HIMARS strikes in Skadovsk and artillery strikes in Novokhovka. The Zaporizhia nuclear power plant continues to operate in a challenging environment. On November 24th, the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported the plant had been reconnected to the Ukrainian electrical grid and was no longer operating on emergency generators. Oleksandr Staruk, Zaporizhia Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the area around the plant was shelled late on November 24th, once again knocking out power. The plant briefly operated on four emergency generators, with Reactor 5 and 6 having been brought to a cold shutdown state during the earlier outage. Power connections were restored, and the plant is again operating using external power. The GSAFU reported that employees of Rosatom were preventing Ukrainian workers who refused to sign work contracts with their company from entering ZNPP, compromising plant safety and in defiance of the IAEA. On the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border, the Russian Ministry of Defense repeated the claim that Ukrainian forces are attempting to retake Novodarivka and suffered losses, without evidence of any kind. None of the semi-reliable Russian mill bloggers echo the claim, and neither Ukrainian nor neutral sources report any fighting on the Zaporizhia axis. Pictures and video showed the aftermath of Russian smirch rockets, loaded with cluster munitions and fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and S-300 anti-aircraft missile strikes on the city of Zaporizhia. A psychiatric hospital had its windows blown out, forcing 270 patients and the medical staff to relocate. The facility was attacked a second time, completely destroying the maintenance building. Earlier this week, we reported that an S-300 missile complex in Zeleniyar, Zaporizhia, was destroyed by rockets fired by HIMARS. In the same town, the GSAFU reported that 20 Russian troops were killed and 15 wounded, and two trucks were destroyed. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, reported a Russian ammunition depot in Mikhailivka was destroyed, causing an ammunition cook-off that lasted for hours. The GSAFU reported that an attack on the Vasilivka rayon wounded up to 130 Russian soldiers and destroyed seven pieces of equipment. In our assessment, this likely references the strike on Mikhailivka. After the strike, Russian forces reportedly conducted, quote, furious reprisals on the town's residents, raiding every home and taking people into custody, in some cases for having articles of clothing that were blue and yellow. The GSAFU also reported an ammunition depot in Melitopol was destroyed, injuring up to 50 Russian troops. We cannot, however, confirm the veracity of the report, and NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, remains blinded due to poor weather in Ukraine. Quick sidebar here, NASA FIRMS is a heat map. 
So when the sky is clear, our team can use data from NASA firms to spot thermal anomalies that align with combat reports from all sources. Mercenaries with the Russian mill blogger source Rybar claimed that a concentration of troops with the 65th Motorized Infantry Brigade in Orkhiv were shelled. There were no reports of casualties, and the Russian MOD did not repeat the claim. Okay, another quick sidebar. In an interview, Mikhail Zvinchuk, a former press office employee for the Russian Ministry of Defense, revealed he is the founder of the Rybar social media channels. In the same interview, he claimed that his channel had created a network of spies engaged in espionage within Ukraine. So, as in the case with Wargonzo, when a video from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, showed one of their reporters actively engaged in direct combat, we can no longer ethically refer to Rybar as a mill blogger, as they are actively engaged combatants in the war in Ukraine by their own admission. There is significant journalistic difference between having points of contact that can verify or report information and sponsoring contacts to engage in direct military operations. For this reason, we are referring to Rybar as a mercenary organization. We thank you for your understanding. The GSAFU reported sporadic exchanges of artillery, rocket, and tank fire from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Juliapola to Orihiv. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. Russian forces have likely taken control of Pavlivka. There were no reports of fighting or shelling by any source. We maintain the town is a no-man's land. Pavlo Kirilenko, Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported only sporadic shelling of Vulidar. We were a bit amused to read Wargonzo's report and discovered they are suffering from the very same we're repeating the greatest hits of the First Army Corps of the DNR thing, with them writing, quote, everything is traditional on the Donetsk front, end quote. On the subject of tradition, Multiple Russian sources reported that elements of the 1st Army Corps continued their attempts to advance into the eastern edge of Novomikhailivka, as always, without success. Even worse, video from November 23rd showed a hangar east of Stepna holding Russian equipment on the ground line of communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, supporting the offensive toward Novomikhailivka, was destroyed. Wargonzo reported that street fighting continued in Marinka with no change in the situation. It is likely that DNR forces lost ground, with a video showing the city being heavily bombed with thermite munitions. The 1st Army Corps also attempted to flank Ukrainian positions with an attack on Krasnohorivka, which failed. A video is circulating showing a Ukrainian pickup truck being destroyed by artillery fire from the 5th Brigade of the 1st Army Corps, but based on weather and terrain conditions, the video is more than 10 days old. Fighting continued south and east of Nevelske with no change in the situation. The 1st Army Corps also continued to attack Pirvomaisky from the same location on the E-50 ring road on the border with Piski. Some assessment here. While Russian forces have gained ground west of the international airport in Vesele and toward Vodyana, they haven't been able to use the gained territory to achieve a tactical success and attack Pisky from the north. Look, attritional warfare benefits the defender, and Russian losses are well-documented as catastrophic. Honestly, we can't determine if the lack of attempts to advance from the north is due to a lack of resources, 
unknown disadvantages, or rigid thinking from Russian military commanders. But continuously pushing conscripts and mobics into the same well-established defensive positions for nearly three months makes absolutely no military sense. Russian forces continue to target Ukrainian electrical infrastructure with a transformer farm in Kurikhivka damaged in an overnight strike. The areas in the western parts of the Russian-occupied city of Donetsk continue to be shelled, with reports of civilian casualties. Russian-occupied Horlivka was also shelled on November 25th. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram Channel released their 5 o'clock follies, claiming their forces destroyed five tanks, three D-30 152mm howitzers, and five units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. The Russian MOD reported two tanks destroyed in Donetsk during the same period. Ukrainian forces carried out 178 fire missions on the occupied territories. An explosion in Russian-occupied Mariupol destroyed an armored car near the occupation administrative building, killing one combatant and wounding two others. The Ukrainian resistance did not take credit for the blast, which obliterated the vehicle. In northeast Donetsk, PMC Wagner continues to suffer catastrophic losses east of Solidar in Bakhmut, with little to show after four months of attacks. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces successfully defended Yakovlivka and Solidar. The Russian MOD claimed Ukrainian forces attempted a counterattack in Bakhmutska and claimed, without evidence, that it was unsuccessful. We geolocated a video last week showing that PMC Wagner had been pushed almost to the northern edge of Pokrovsk, the GSAFU also reported fighting with mercenaries east of Bakhmut, with Rybar reporting intense fighting along the E-40 highway strongholds and no change in the situation. Fighting conditions are brutal for both belligerents. However, Ukrainian forces can rotate into Bakhmut and Solidar to get warmed up and clean off the mud. The casualties that Russian forces are suffering on the same front are beyond catastrophic. There is a graphic video from the E-40 highway that some viewers may find disturbing. You can watch it by clicking the link in our full situation report on Patreon. In another rare moment of unintended commiseration, Wargonzo wrote, quote, On the southern outskirts of Bakhmut, PMZ Wagner was attacked from the side of Opitne, not to be confused with the settlement of the same name near Donetsk, end quote. We have nothing to add except that the GSAFU confirmed fighting in the village located four kilometers south of Bakhmut. Russian forces shelled Kramatorsk, targeting medical facilities and civilian housing. During the middle of the day, the city was hit again, targeting the industrial region and injuring one person. Moving on to Luhansk, Russian sources reported continued fighting in Novoselivske and Kuzemivka. Russian forces continue pushing Mobics into Ukrainian positions to hold back further advances while suffering unsustainable losses. The Russian MOD claimed the attack was successful, while Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, representative Rodion Moroshnik and Russian propagandist Real Colonel Z reported fighting continued. The Russian MOD reported their forces attempted to advance on Stelmachivka, with Wargonzo reporting the attack failed. Geolocated video showed Ukrainian forces walking in the village uncontested. 
The GSAFU reported Ploshanka was shelled for the eighth day in a row, and for the first time, a reliable Ukrainian source reported fighting was ongoing in the village. We did not change our warm-up. The Russian MOD reported continued fighting on the outskirts of Chervonopopivka, with no change in the situation. On November 24th, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces had successfully repelled an attack on Dibrova, eight kilometers southwest of Kremina. Wargonzo reported that Russian forces attempted a counterattack to take the village back and failed. And Sergei Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported, quote, Under Svatova and Kremina, our military is successful. End quote. Based on the reports from both belligerents, we moved the line of conflict northeast and consider the village contested. Governor Haidai also reported that fighting east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, continued, reducing the town to ruins after seven months of continuous fighting. Shelling, rockets from MLRS, and HIMARS strikes continued to pound Russian positions in Svatova, rendering the town useless as a logistics hub. PMC Wagner continues construction on the so-called Wagner Line near Svatova, building trenches, berms, reinforced trenches, and our very favorite half-height dragon's teeth, also known as cope cones. Some assessment here. Although we believe that both belligerents will launch winter offensives, Russian forces have been forced to take a defensive position along most of the line of conflict, including throughout Luhansk. The Kremlin has not addressed the issue of poor training and equipment, and we believe that Russian troops and their proxy forces will suffer significant cold-weather injuries, which might degrade their ability to hold defensive lines just a touch. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. In the Cherniev, Kharkiv, and Sumy region, Ukrainian sources reported fighting in Vilshana, 14 kilometers northeast of Kupiansk, for the second day in a row. Based on the reports, we find it highly unlikely that Russian troops are established in Liman Pirshi and have coded the settlement as contested. And yes, we know we walked this same claim back at the beginning of the week. A video was released showing a small Russian convoy that had been destroyed in Kisilivka. The video is recent, while the attack on the column, which included a T-90M tank, was earlier in the month when the settlement was still contested. Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Hromadas of Znobnovhorodsk and Shalakhin were shelled and hit by rockets fired by MLRS by Russian forces. The barrage landed close to the international border, and no damage or injuries were reported. The town of Seredina Buda, located on the Russian border, was shelled late on November 24th with mortar rounds landing in a residential area. A two-story and five-story apartment building were damaged, and a home was destroyed. Residents moved to the basements during the attack, preventing any serious injuries. The GSAFU reported the villages of Chai, Khrinivka, and Yasnapolyana in Cherniev were attacked with artillery fired from across the international border. There was no additional information at the time of recording. 
In the Kyiv region, the main directorate of intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, dismissed rumors that a combined task force of Russian and Belarusian troops will attack Kyiv between November 28th and 29th. The GUR wrote, quote, The purpose of such a special information operation is to provoke Ukraine to transfer a significant part of its troops to the border with Belarus. In order to weaken the offensive potential of the armed forces in the east and south of Ukraine, and at the same time to show Belarusians the alleged intentions of our state to attack the territory of Belarus, thereby provoking Belarusians to enter the war. Oleksandr Pavlyuk, the commander of the forces and means of defense of the city of Kyiv, said that at the moment Russia and Belarus do not have an adequate force to attack the city from a northern direction. We continue to assess that if there is an attack on Ukraine from Belarus, it will be in western Ukraine toward Rivne. We also believe the chances of an invasion remain very low, but a possibility in the upcoming winter months. Moving on to the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region. At the time of recording, OCS reported 11 ships of the Black Sea fleet were on patrol, but none were capable of launching caliber cruise missiles. Rybar reported that a Ukrainian drone was shot down near Armyansk, which is on the Crimea-Kherson administrative border and a key transportation and logistics node. Hanna Zamazayeva of the Mykolaiv Regional Council reported Ochakiv was hit by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, wounding two people when a residential area was struck. In the early morning hours, Vitali Kim... Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor reported that attempts to restore power had failed and most of the region was still in the dark. 24 hours later, he reported that power had been restored along with water, internet, and reliable cellular service. The IAEA reported that the South Ukraine nuclear power plant was reconnected to the Ukrainian power grid and was producing electricity again. In western and central Ukraine, the IAEA reported that Rivne and Khmelnytsky nuclear power plants were also reconnected and beginning to produce electricity. Russian forces attacked Nikopol and Markhanets, firing almost 60 grad rockets from S-21 MLRS. Ukrainian officials did not provide information about damage and reported no casualties. Moving on to the Russian front, Rybar reported the villages of Starikhutor, Biryuch, and Leninsky in the Bilgorod Federal District were shelled. Local officials and state media did not support the claim, and, as previously reported, federal district leaders in Bilgorod and Bryansk are becoming increasingly irritated with the false claims that Ukraine is preparing to attack the region. Vyacheslav Gladkov, the mayor of Shibikino in the Bilgorod Federal District, joined the growing chorus of Russian officials dismissing Kremlin and Russian mill blogger claims that Ukraine is preparing to invade the region. In a recent statement, a visibly frustrated Gladkov growled, quote, It's a rumor, end quote. In the Bryansk federal district, residents of Balaya Beriska were asking government officials to evacuate them due to cross-border shelling, according to Russian state Duma deputy Konstantin Pavlov. Bryansk Governor Alexander Bogomaz has been resistant to declaring a state of emergency, deploying local resources, or starting an evacuation. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. 
Polish officials have concluded their investigation into the missile strike on Shevodów and have concluded that the missile that killed two farmers on November 15th was an errant Ukrainian air defense missile. The investigation found no evidence of a second missile strike in Poland or debris from a Russian KH-101 cruise missile, as some sources had claimed, and we had previously dismissed as erroneous. Polish President Andrzej Duda said during an interview on Polish radio that the investigation concluded the second errant air defense missile landed in Ukraine. He reported the investigation was still ongoing, with debris undergoing lab testing. On November 21st, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov declared, quote, The change of power in Kyiv is not the goal of the special military operation. End quote. The Kremlin has continued to shift its position on the so-called special military operation, claiming the core goal was to secure the Donbass over the summer, and then illegally annexing Zaporizhia and Kherson in addition to Luhansk and Donetsk. On November 26th, the Russian State Duma vice speaker Boris Chernyshov said that Ukrainian civilians in Kyiv should, quote, freeze and rot, end quote. After the statement, someone off-camera asked, quote, ordinary people must rot, end quote. With Chernyshov replying, quote, ordinary people should take to the streets and end Zelensky's Nazi regime, end quote. So it appears he did not get the Kremlin talking points memo that Nazis are out, and Satanists are in. Under this backdrop of confusing messaging, the Kremlin is kicking up political dust in its attempt to erode Western support for Ukraine when Russia's intent is regime change in Kyiv and the nation's destruction. Stanislav Zarin, the Secretary of State at the Chancellery of the Prime Minister of Poland, tweeted that his nation assesses that, quote, Putin still wants to achieve his maximalist goals, and by obfuscating his real intentions, he is only misleading the Western audience. End quote. That's a lot of words to say that most people aren't buying that all Putin wants is peace. I mean, a little piece of Luhansk, a little piece of Donbass, and all of Kherson given half the chance. Ukraine has put its people's satellite to good use, with the GUR reporting that they have been able to document the location of over 2,600 pieces of Russian military equipment across the occupied territories. Officials said the imaging would be useful in finding Russian equipment hidden in the forested regions of Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky expressed frustration and issued rare criticism to Kyiv's mayor Vitaly Klitschko, without naming him, over the bungled deployment of invincibility points in the city. During his evening national address, Zelensky said, quote, "...invincibility centers have been opened throughout the country." But I know that, unfortunately, the local authorities have not done a good job in every city. In particular, there are many complaints in Kyiv. Only the invincibility centers at the base of the state emergency service and the Kyiv railway station have been equipped properly. The people of Kyiv deserve better protection. End quote. Zelensky added that he expected, quote, quality work from the mayor's office, called the failure a, quote, desecration, and criticized false reports claiming the situation was under control. Ukraine's points of invincibility are supposed to provide free access to a heated place with food, drinks, internet access, cellular phone coverage, basic first aid, and charging stations for electronics. The deployment of more than 4,000 centers across the nation went more smoothly in other regions. Oleksandr Karchenko, director of the Energy Research Center for Ukraine, 
said the biggest blocker to restoring electrical service to impacted regions of Ukraine is damage to transmission lines and not the nation's ability to generate electricity. Russia has launched seven attacks since October 10th, damaging 55 to 75 percent of the high-voltage distribution network and heavily targeting substations and transformer farms. As Ukrainian engineers continue to work to restore the shattered electrical grid, Alexei Danilov, secretary of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council, wrote on his Facebook page, quote, The world's second-best transformer-fighting army is now the official nickname for the Russian army, which has been heroically fighting with Ukrainian hydroelectric and thermal power plants for days. These bastards have tried to leave us without fuel and the world without grain. We will win on the electricity front as well. End quote. There's a lot of snark, a lot of salt, a lot of shade, if you will, being thrown around here. And we are absolutely here for it. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg called the attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure a, quote, terrible way to start the winter, end quote, adding that, quote, if we let Putin win, we will all pay a much higher price, end quote. The Secretary General vowed that assistance would continue as long as it takes and will only continue to intensify. He also added that he would, quote, demand more from NATO members to complete the transition of the armed forces of Ukraine to modern NATO standards. The Security Services of Ukraine, or SSU, broke up a ring that was helping men avoid military service by moving across the self-declared region of Transnistria, which is part of Moldova. With the help of a Ukrainian border guard, men of draft age could pay $5,500, or more if they were from wealthier families, to be smuggled into Western European countries. The SSU is continuing its investigation of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church in Bukovina, where they found manuals for Russian military equipment and Russian citizenship papers for some members of the occupation forces. Ukrainian security services said the fines prove Russian citizens are involved in the church's leadership. The GUR reported that after studying the debris from Russian cruise missiles, They determined that most of the microchips that support the Russian GLONASS guidance systems come from the United States, Canada, and three European nations. GLONASS is Russia's version of GPS, which the nation deployed in 1982. Microchips from United States companies Lynx Technologies, Broadcom, Qualcomm, Telet, Maxim Integrated, Trimble, and Kavli Wireless were found, as well as circuits from Sierra Wireless and Novatel from Canada, Ublox AG of Switzerland, Septentrio of Belgium, and Antonova of the United Kingdom. The findings mirror a similar report from the Wall Street Journal on November 22nd that found 75% of the parts in Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones came from North America, Western Europe, and allied nations in Asia. United Kingdom Minister of Defense Ben Wallace said Ukraine should not conduct a winter pause, telling the Daily Beast, quote, Given the advantage that the Ukrainians have in training and in the quality of their personnel compared to the demoralized, ill-trained, and equipped Russians, it would be in Ukraine's interests to keep the momentum going through the winter, end quote. In our assessment, we agree that a winter pause is ill-advised, while recognizing the need to balance military equipment and human capital. History has shown that, since 1709 at least, Ukraine is where invading armies die in the wintertime. 
The self-declared leader of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, dismissed his Air Force and Air Defense Forces commander. A November 18th decree claimed Major General Igor Golub was released because of his age, although he's only 55. His replacement was not named. As I mentioned earlier, Mikhail Zvinchuk, former Russian Ministry of Defense press officer, revealed that he and his so-called colleague, Denis Shukin, created the social media channel Rybar. When asked about his connections to Yevgeny Prigozhin of PMC Wagner and the Prigozhin-backed publication RIA Fan, Zvinchuk admitted he was a writer for the publication. However, when pressed if the leader of PMC Wagner was financing Rybar, he refused to answer the question. A recent investigation concluded that Rybar is part of Prigozhin's vast social media and disinformation empire. Rybar's monthly operating budget is over 66,000 U.S. dollars. Sidebar, while I pick my jaw up off the floor, apparently spreading half-truths that our analysts have to spend hours investigating is very profitable, and we are in the wrong business. Our monthly budget is like $5,000. Ooh, what we could do is 66 grand a month. That would buy so many snacks. German Defense Minister Christina Lambrecht appears to be delaying a decision to send Patriot missile batteries originally destined for Poland to Ukraine instead. Lambrecht claimed that, quote, the Patriot is part of NATO's integrated air defense system, which means they are designed to be deployed on NATO territory. Any use outside its borders will require prior discussion with NATO and allies, end quote. Stoltenberg dismissed the claim, telling Reuters, quote, Specific decisions about specific systems are national decisions. Sometimes there are end-user agreements and other things, so they need to consult with other allies. But at the end of the day, it's up to national governments to make that decision. End quote. Concerns have already been raised that deploying air defense systems for NATO on the border of Ukraine instead of in Ukraine could cause another accident, with an errant missile striking Ukrainian air defenses or aircraft accidentally. Also, incoming missiles into Ukrainian airspace could confuse military leaders who could mistake the munitions for Russian missiles. To be perfectly honest, we can't assess how Germany will respond. Although the country has been reluctant to provide heavy weapons to Ukraine, they have provided numerous air defense systems, including IRST, with Ukraine being the first nation to deploy the -the state-of-the-art system worldwide. The New York Times reported that up to one-third of the 350 NATO-provided howitzers sent to Ukraine are out of commission at any given time due to worn barrel sleeves. The barrels can't be replaced in the field because they're almost 7 meters long and weigh thousands of pounds. Ukrainian engineers weren't trained to service the artillery pieces, so they're sent to Poland for service. The recommended service life of an M777 barrel is 2,500 rounds, but that can be extended depending on conditions. As the barrel wears, it loses range and accuracy. Light wear can be compensated for mathematically, but heavy wear really can't. The United States has officially provided 142 towed 155mm howitzers, with the rest coming from allied nations. Norway announced a new military aid package for Ukraine, which includes winter clothing, self-propelled 155mm M109 howitzers, or SPGs, and spare parts. So maybe someone in Norway reads the New York Times. I don't know, is that a thing? Norwegians, 
Do you read the New York Times? Croatia announced it would submit to its parliament a resolution to start training Ukrainian forces in its nation. If passed, Croatian military trainers would deploy to Poland and Germany to support ongoing NATO efforts and, quote, possibly train Ukrainian troops in the European nation. The war in Ukraine, and Russian aggression in general, have reinvigorated Eastern Europe's defense industry, with an increase in the production of arms and munitions, while highlighting certain military hardware on the world stage, such as the Slovakian Susana 255mm SPG. Is there a NATO Salesperson of the Year award? Because if there is, and hear me out, if there is, it really seems like Russian President Vladimir Putin should win it. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Speaking of military hardware, let's talk about Russian mobilization. As we had previously assessed, Russian President Putin's meeting with the mothers and wives of mobilized troops in Ukraine was a sham. Eighteen hand-picked women participated, with many either party officials or aligned with the Putin-led government. We can't exactly blame Putin for not wanting to be locked in a room with the most fearsome force left inside Russia. Angry babushkas who want to know where their sons and husbands are. Participants included Moscow official and United Russia deputy Olga Beltseva, head of the executive committee of the All-Russian People's Front in the Moscow region Yulia Belekhova, and member of the Orekhovo-Zuyevo public chamber Marina Migunova. Film director Olesya Shigina, who shoots orthodox patriotic films, sat closest to Putin. One woman claimed to Putin that her son, who was killed in action, said, quote, Let's go, brothers, chop the dill, end quote, as his dying words. Just a quick note here, dill is a slur used to refer to Ukrainians. Even though Ukrainians and Russians are one people, and they need to be saved from an evil regime and the West and NATO and liberals and Satan and the LGBTQIA community and neo-Nazi Jews and... You see where I'm going with this, right? There may be a lot more angered mothers and wives in the coming months, with the organization Important Stories claiming that Russia plans to use the force of Mobix to stabilize the front over the winter and start over in the spring. Citing confidential sources in the FSB and a person within the Russian general staff, the Kremlin predicts that losses could reach one-third of the mobilized. That's 100,000 casualties. The previously planned fall conscription of 120,000 troops, which started training on November 1st, would replace those losses. Like restocking a vending machine. In the Tatarstan federal district, Wives aren't demanding their Mobik husbands be sent back home to stop fighting. They want them sent back home to get more training, and then they want them to go back to Ukraine. If you speak Russian, we have a link to a video in our full situation report on Patreon. Just be prepared for your brain to hurt. Drone video captured a member of a blocking unit beating a Mobik and demanding they return to the front. Mobik started to learn that surrendering their service weapons has become a death sentence when they refuse to fight, so the red-sneakered political officer could only coax the armed Mobik to return with violence. 
In Mariupol, insurgents documented the arrival of prefabricated concrete bunkers, derisively called septic tanks, and half-height dragon's teeth moving through the city. The report and pictures said the material had come from Russia and was moving west toward the Zaporizhia Oblast. Russian propagandist account Older Than Edda complained that Russia hadn't produced enough helicopters, and Russian armed forces are unprepared for winter conditions where helicopters may become the only way to provide air lines of communication, called ALOCs, those are supply lines, in the air, to remote locations on the front lines. On the subject of propagandists, a war of words broke out between PMC Wagner telegram channel Grey Zone and Russian mill blogger Sasha Kotz. Kotz condemned the Russian Mobics from the Serpukhov district near Moscow for walking off the front lines near Svatova, writing, quote, I understand that now I will be subjected to a wave of criticism, but they ask me to help these Serpukhov guys, but I don't understand. What kind? Do they themselves ask to be taken to the Moscow region? You understand that this is an article about desertion, end quote. Grayzone blasted Kotz and his claim that he had just spent three days on the front up to his, quote, sideburns in mud, saying, quote, It would be very interesting to know what these military correspondents would write, who slandered the Mobix, if he rubbed his sideburns in the mud for more than three days and starving, and not with a phone in hand but an AKM, and talking about the battles not from words but from what he saw in reality when you were driven into the attack like meat. That's what I would like to hear, what kind of hellish f*** is going on in Makievka that a battalion of Mobics is thrown to hold the key settlement, that's his own words, with only small arms. End quote. While the defense of the Mobics who appeared in the video may be charitable, and we agree with Grayzone's assessment, the channel is part of PMC Wagner's disinformation machine, which continues to chip away at Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu's leadership. There is a larger agenda behind calling out the failures of the Russian MOD, saying things like, quote, In the Svatova direction, where Colonel General Alexander Lopin used to act as well, the problem is clearly systemic in nature, and certain people in specific positions are probably to blame for it. End quote. Like, that's not even subtle. Russia continues to rotate troops into Belarus, with up to a thousand Mobics deployed into a tent compound in the village of Babunichi near Khomel. The Russian Ministry of Defense had previously announced it had ended the training of Mobics in Belarus, but evidence indicates that operations are still ongoing. Sergei Rudsky, the chief of the main operational directorate of the general staff of the Russian Armed Forces, recently arrived in Belarus to inspect troops training facilities, border readiness, and medical facilities. At least one Mobik doesn't have to worry about standing tall and looking good for General Rudsky. Due to a security incident on November 22nd in Berevnaya, Belarus, one Mobik was killed and another wounded. It wasn't clarified what, quote, violation of security measures at night occurred. Beyond it didn't end well. The United Kingdom Defense Intelligence Agency reported that Russia's stock of long-range missiles is reaching a critical level of depletion. An AS-15 Kent cruise missile, which was developed in the 1980s exclusively to deliver nuclear warheads, was shot down by Ukrainian forces, with ballast substituted for an explosive. Although the missile's kinetic energy would produce damage, 
The UK intelligence agency believes Russia is now dipping into its nuclear weapon delivery systems to use as decoys to overwhelm Ukrainian air defenses. The war in Ukraine is now nine months old, and patterns are emerging showing the impact on Russia's future generations. The Russian Federation was already facing a demographic crisis with negative population growth, but that has accelerated with the birth rate 10 to 12 percent lower than a year ago. The country is poised to see the lowest drop in its birth rate since 2017, when it fell 10.5 percent. Deputy Director of the Institute of Demography at the Higher School of Economics in Russia, Sergei Zakharov, said that the decline could no longer be dismissed due to COVID-reducing dating or the desire to have smaller families. He believes the fear of war and families fleeing in the opening months of the special military operation is driving the accelerating decline. It is estimated over 600,000 Russians have fled the country since September 24th. More than all migration from 1947 to 1994. In September, we shared a Russian report that Ukrainian nationals had formed a volunteer battalion in Russian-occupied Zaporizhia. We also questioned how voluntary the members were, and Gauleiter Yevgeny Balitsky claimed that his son from Crimea had joined the military unit. Now that the unit has been deployed, local reports indicate that the battalion is comprised of Russian nationals. And the whole message around its creation was a psychological operation. This is one of the many reasons we have trust issues and will be scarred for life. In occupied Luhansk, Russian officials are doing another wave of mobilization, conscripting available males for the infantry, including anesthesiologists, surgeons, traumatologists, and medical assistants from 30 to 55 years old. The Second Army Corps of the LNR is combat destroyed. And contributes little to ongoing military operations in its current state, forcing stealth mobilization. Wargonzo interviewed members of the Bars 13 Russian Legion, not to be confused with the Imperial Russia Legion, a designated terrorist organization, manned by personnel over 40 years old, and many over 50. A Russian volunteer who goes by the call sign Mavro is 56 years old. And decided to fight in the war after his nephew was killed in action. President Putin signed a decree to create an electronic database of conscripts, contract soldiers, and reservists by April 12, 2024. Now, if you're listening to this, thinking, "Wait, they don't have an electronic database for this now?" No, no, Russia does not have this. As we reported in September, when partial mobilization started. This information is kept as paper records in the commissariat offices. This is why people were committing arson on recruiting centers to destroy the paper records of those eligible for mobilization. Self-declared leader of the DNR Denis Pushilin said on Russia One that the First Army Corps could form reserve units quickly, and that despite difficult conditions, was advancing quote along the entire front line. End quote. He said that. On Russian state media, with a straight face. Fine, okay. You've been advancing at a rate of 25 to 50 meters a day since July, and if you can keep up that pace, you'll reach Kiev by 2047. The Kremlin's United Russia political party will not hold its congress in 2022, stating it is quote not ready to propose a strategic agenda. End quote. So, according to Russian law, the party congress should be held once a year. 
and Putin hasn't addressed the Federal Assembly of Russia since April 2021. Plan? We don't need no stinking plan. Okay, no, but seriously, whatever the plan is, everything is going to that plan. In our war crimes and human rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russia and Ukraine completed their third prisoner of war exchange in the last three days, with nine Ukrainian soldiers traded for nine Russian troops. The GUR claims that Russian troops in the Donetsk region executed 28 Romani, an ethnic minority often referred to with the pejorative term gypsies, for providing Russian troops with alcohol, which ended up sickening the soldiers. The Romani have been persecuted for over a century, and after World War II, they were left stateless in many countries for complex reasons, limiting their access to humanitarian aid. How about some good news involving love? A Ukrainian woman drove 700 kilometers despite the energy crisis and difficulty getting fuel to join her fiance on the front lines to get married. Volodymyr and Maria, last names withheld for operational security, have been apart since April when he joined the armed forces of Ukraine. Volodymyr couldn't get leave, and out of the blue, he called his beloved and proposed over the phone. Their wedding photos were taken in a safe area close to the front lines. Including a picture of Maria in her white wedding dress in a muddy trench. In geopolitical news, after President Putin was humiliated by Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan at the end of the CSTO summit, the Russian State Duma is considering passing a measure to declare Armenia a quote illegal nation state. End quote. Pashinyan refused to sign the CSTO summit agreement at the end of the meeting on November 24th, shocking Putin so much that he dropped his pen. With the Armenian leader calling the meeting a quote fiasco, and CSTO quote worthless. The Duma threats are empty, given that Russia didn't have the military resources to honor an Article 4 request for mutual aid when Azerbaijan invaded Armenia on September 12th. Not satisfied with threatening war against NATO and Armenia, the Russian State Duma added Kyrgyzstan to the list. Speaker of the Kyrgyz Parliament Nurlan Shakyev set into motion the urgent need to rename cities and towns in the nation that still have Soviet-era names and to quote develop the speaking of the national language and honor our heroes. End quote. Russian state media is openly suggesting invading Kyrgyzstan. Home to the Russian Federation space program and its largest uranium ore provider, Kyrgyzstan did not participate in the so-called CSTO Indestructible Brotherhood military exercises on October 11th, and is widely believed to be positioning itself to leave the organization in 2023. Some assessment here: the CSTO is equivalent to NATO if you ordered NATO from Wish. With the only member with any military teeth being the Russian Federation, the actions by Prime Minister Pashinyan on November 24th have likely mortally wounded the six-member pact. Russia's influence as a world power is dissolving on the geopolitical stage, with Turkey thawing relations with Armenia and the Armenian government reaching out to the United States. Kyrgyzstan shares a border with China, a ready-made ally to its south. 
United Kingdom Foreign Secretary James Cleverly visited Kyiv for the first time and held talks with Ukrainian President Zelensky. During the meeting, Cleverly announced the UK was providing another aid package worth three million pounds, including 24 ambulances, 11 emergency vehicles, and six armored cars. Hungarian President Katalin Novak will become the highest-ranking representative of the nation to visit Kyiv since Russia's wide-scale invasion on February 24th. Power outages in Ukraine have impacted natural gas deliveries to Hungary because compressors could not run without electrical power. In response to the sledgehammer with fake blood and a tooth sent to the European Union Parliament by PMC Wagner founder Prigozhin, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Estonia, Urmas Reinsalu, sent handcuffs to The Hague to await the arrival of the private military company leader. Serbia and Kosovo have reached an agreement over an automotive license plate spat that brought the two nations to the brink of war. A settlement was reached through negotiations led by the European Union High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, John Burrell, who wrote on Twitter, quote, I am pleased to announce that the main negotiators of Serbia and Kosovo, mediated by the EU, have agreed on measures to avoid further escalation and fully concentrate on proposals to normalize relations, end quote. He noted that Serbia has agreed to stop issuing plates with Kosovo city codes and Kosovo promises to stop trying to forcibly re-register cars with Serbian numbers. In economic news, the ruble closed the week out down with an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices continued to decline, with WTI crude ending the week at $76 a barrel and Brent falling to $84. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market dropped to $2.33 per gallon for November contracts. That's $0.62 cents a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures for December 2022 climbed to €125 Euros per megawatt hour, and January 2023 contracts rose to €130. Euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures ended the week down, closing at $7.76 a bushel for March 2022 contracts. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.